today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. Building something that sticks around in government on purpose. We don't want it to be that application where you just have your normal maintenance and then you look four years down the road and it's you know already considered a legacy application. So we're looking at Texas by Texas as a true product and we want to, to keep evolving it. Finding a path for better, faster, stronger access to healthcare and prisons. I thought, well, you know, we could probably replicate this in medicine. If we can do it in psychiatry, you know, just think of what we can do from our uh, from the medical side of the house. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Arizona is contracting with Tanium to further its whole-of-state cybersecurity program, the cyber company says. The deal will cover more than 100 state agencies, 15 counties, 91 cities, more than 200 K-12 districts, and 22 tribal nations. The contract is for endpoint management software that will speed up detection of threats, the state CISO says. Michigan will spend $78 million with Deloitte to install a modern unemployment benefit system. The Refresh system will launch in 2025 and replaces the existing Michigan Integrated Data Automated System. Fifteen other states use a version of Deloitte system, according to the company. Cybersecurity capabilities across K-12 schools are improving, but the sector continues to lag behind other parts of government and the private sector, according to a new report from the Center for Internet Security. Nearly one-fifth of K-12 districts nationwide commit less than 1% of their overall technology budget to cybersecurity, and many districts are still not using low-cost or free services to help fill the gaps. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Texas by Texas, the state's digital services hub, now has more than 3 million accounts. The project kicked off several years ago with massage therapy license and now features driver's license renewals and vehicle registration renewals in the state. The platform has processed more than 4 million transactions since the launch, but the work isn't stopping there. More digital services will be coming to the app soon, and the effort won one of NASIO's annual state IT recognition awards this year. Jennifer Buis, the state IT department's director of strategic digital services, tells StateScoop's Colin Wood how the project got off the ground. You know, Texas has been looking at how can we make the constituent experience better for a while. And and so uh, we started putting requirements together, what it looked like to build a true digital assistant. And so this digital assistant uh, was born in, you know, 2018 timeframe. We wanted to make sure we built the platform uh, based on security and ease of use for the for the end user. And so we, we started the process. We, we, we launched a smaller, integrated a, a smaller um, customer with massage therapy licenses. And then once we could prove that this was the, the way to go for the future and that we would have this one platform for constituents to consume their government services, we then decided to, we started working with the Department of Motor Vehicles and the Department of Public Safety to understand what their vision was for how they wanted to transform in the future for driver's license renewals and vehicle registration renewals. And so over, you know, probably like a two year period, we we worked with their leadership to um, to to try to move this forward and integrate those services into this platform. And so then last October of uh, 21, we were able to launch those services, uh, 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 vehicle registration renewals and driver's license renewals into the Texas by Texas platform. 
at the time, we had about 12,000 accounts um, last October. And so we had goals to, you know, get to, you know, maybe 250, maybe if we were lucky, 500,000 accounts over this first year. And adoption it has way exceeded our expectations. We are now, we just hit over 3 million accounts last week and uh, transactions we've had over 4 million transactions run through the platform uh, so it is just growing exponentially and we're we're getting lots of feedback and able to continuously improve the platform uh, but also a lot of positive is changing the way our constituents are doing their business um, in a in a really positive way mm. Yeah, was there or were there many challenges along the way to to get these services available where previously they were presumably done yeah. through through other channels? Yeah, so I think, you know, we we've always had so vehicle registration and driver's license renewals, they had an option to do an online transaction. Uh, but it was very, we call it a guest transaction. It, it didn't have and it wasn't uh, mobile friendly. And so now our our constituents have an option to create an account and to really have that personalized experience where they can, um, if they choose to, they can store their uh, payment information. They can select if they wanna be notified uh, digitally instead of mail. So trying to, to drive folks to digital to ultimately save money for the state. Um, and so, so yeah, so all of this, um, built together, it was it was a long journey um, to get here, but but the agencies are really, really um, excited in, in how it's moving forward. Right. And your vendor was Deloitte, right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So what can you describe the process a little bit of how it was working with Deloitte and the uh, the other agencies? How did that all how did that all go? Yeah. So Deloitte has been our our Texas.gov application services uh, provider since 2018, and so those requirements for this platform were in that um, competitive procurement. And so they started building the platform. We have product owners at DIR that are, are really trying to set the, the vision and the strategy, and then we work very closely with Deloitte to do the application development and 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 then they help us determine okay what technology what emerging technologies are we going to be able to 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 leverage going into the future with the platform and it's been a, it's been a great uh, you know a, i think a great process as deloitte has worked with all of the agencies so then we got really involved with dps and dmb and it took a long time as i mentioned to 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 make sure that this aligned with their ultimate goal and, and where they were going because Texas um, is a federated model so no one is required to to do um, to work with DIR or, or Texas.gov um, they're not required to come in and and change the way they operate or, or provide constituent services so this was more of these agencies had to choose to work with us and um, Ultimately, I think as the agencies are starting to really explore and look at digital transformation and what it means of providing the best 
um, experience for your end user, but also providing choice. So that omni-channel uh, approach. And so I think both all of the agencies are really starting to focus on we're going to have to have multiple options. So, of course, you know, you're going to have to still have in-person options. You might have to have an option where people don't create an account, but then you have this very personalized online way to go or system that where your constituents can choose to go create an account. Um, so I think as we work together, all the agencies and moving forward, it was it was a great experience. There's I think there's challenges um, when you're transforming, as as we like to say, it is is a journey, uh, not a destination. So you continue to evolve in your process and your maturity. And so I think as agencies do it, that's hard to do. And and agencies in their the staff are really having to step out of their comfort zone to go from you know, your your standard development and waterfall methodologies to agile. So so we built everything um, in Texas.gov. We really try to drive an agile process. And so agencies are really having the culture shift within the agency staff is has been um, significant in how they how they move forward and how they design and develop and integrate these services. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, that this has been kind of growing. Uh, what's next for for this platform? Yeah, so we have um, we're we're talking to quite a few other agencies that are really interested in the platform, and 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 this is for constituent services only. So there's a lot of agencies that are looking to do business. So this is really focused on the constituent, um, but we're. You know, and now looking at even certain more services that are coming through DPS. So, for example, we have a program in Texas that for the young drivers, they have to do the skills testing and the whole process has always been manual from the third party companies and DPS and then the in the constituent, the young driver. And now we're completely automating that entire process. And so that's going to be um, launching in the spring. So that's really exciting because not only are we helping the constituents, but we're going to be able to help, you know, companies and 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 the agency have a more streamlined uh, process and, and not take as much, uh, not take as many resources. Right. We're also looking and, and you know, just kind of talking about as emerging technologies continue to evolve and, and some emerging technologies still have a ways to become, I, I would say, socially acceptable. Um, but as those, you know, technologies become more standardized in the um, everyday lives, we're looking to, to keep um, evolving and putting the new technologies into the platform. And we really look at it we're really trying to hone in that texas by texas is a product so it's not just an application that we got it built and now we have to uh, of course you maintain it we don't want it to be that application where you just have your normal maintenance and then you look four years down the road and it's you know already considered a legacy 
um, application. So we're looking at Texas by Texas as a true product, and we want to, to keep evolving it as in that product life cycle. For your counterparts across the country, do you have any sort of advice or anything that surprised you during implementation that you would alert them to if, they, if they're looking to emulate some of your success? Yeah, so I think patience um, and in and education. So I say patience because you know we have to. We're working with agencies that are that have so many responsibilities and mission critical activities. And so while we have it top of mind for digital transformation and 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 really honing in on that um, that human centered design, that's not everyone's priority. So I think, you know, the we you have to have patience to keep having those conversations with your your colleagues and your your partner agencies, and and reiterating the importance, and then um, and showing examples along the way, and and really not judge it when they decide that they're not ready to move forward, being okay with that, and say we're, we'll be here when you when you're ready, or how can we help you? to prepare to be ready. So I think patience is a huge piece. And then, um, you know, just keeping those relationships uh, alive. I, you know, I think the what has helped us with Texas by Texas is the business relationship that we've had with um, our partner agencies. It hasn't been the technology because we know technology is not perfect. And it's changing so quickly, but it's the, it's that business relationship uh, that has really lent to I think the the success of the Texas by Texas. Jennifer Buis, the director of strategic digital services at the Texas Department of Information Resources. You can read more about Jennifer and digital services at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. The podcast is off next week for the November holiday, but back December 1st with more nominees of NASIO's 2022 State IT Recognition Awards. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. North Carolina is rolling out telemedicine services to incarcerated persons in the state through a collaboration between the State Department of Public Safety, the State Department of Information Technology, and the University of North Carolina Health System. All 55 state correctional facilities now have access to a telemedicine platform that gives those incarcerated access to more than 200 specialists, nurse practitioners, and physician assistants. So far, the effort has saved the state more than $2.6 million. The project won a NASIO Annual State IT Recognition Award this year. Terry Catlett, the Director of Healthcare Administration for the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, tells State Soup's Colin Wood how the effort got started. So I want to kind of go back to 2012 when the department had a pressing need to be able to meet the needs of the increasing amount of mentally ill offenders that were coming uh, incarcerated and a uh, very limited number of uh, in-person psychiatrists available and this great surge of mentally health, uh, mentally ill offenders that needed care. And so at that point, we stuck our toe into very primitive telehealth uh, through telepsychiatry by using, you know, very primitive little camera, a couple of speakers, and off we went. We were able to reach out to some providers in the local area who are willing to do telehealth that weren't willing to come into a prison to do it. So we thought, well, let's see if we can meet the needs of the population by doing telepsychiatry. Well, that really 
was the whole precipitating event. Um, we were very, very, very successful. The word got out. We um, were able to recruit several psychiatrists and we were able to then come up with um, a way to be able to manage um, the mentally ill offenders through telepsychiatry. And I thought, well, you know, we could probably replicate this in medicine. If we can do it in psychiatry, you know, just think of what we can do from our, uh, from the medical side of the house. So, um, you know, that took a little bit more, um, that was a little bit more complicated because of the, uh, and I'm just going to say the firewall, you know, and how challenging it was going to be. How do I get outside of our internal system to be able to get external providers to be able to provide on-site or, you know, telehealth to our population. So it took a few years of trying to, number one, reach out to the community, see if there are any healthcare partners that were interested in partnering with us in this initiative. And you have to understand, you know, it's all very um, foreign to a lot of providers in the area at the time. So I kind of had to like sell the product and tell them how that it would be really a win-win-win for all of us if we were to launch this initiative. Um, we started um, looking at, um, okay, looking at the technology, what would it take from a technology perspective to get this launch? I had to do an assessment of all of my facilities. Some of them are older than others. Some of them needed a lot of data upgrades in order to support, you know, technology, the equipment that we we're going to be using. And so there were a lot of things that had to be done on the back end, even before we had conversations with providers. Um, so we had to kind of do a, a, a complete upfit of our facilities from a physical plant perspective to, you know, have data ports, additional phone lines, et cetera. So we, we had to kind of build that infrastructure and it took, you know, a period of years. And of course, budgets are limited. So I kind of did it in stages where I did a third of the state one year, the next year, the other third. And finally, by the end of 2019, I was in a point where I was able to get the infrastructure needs done, um, was able to buy some technology. Uh, we use a DX80. Um, which is a great big, you know, monitor, kind of like a phone where you, it's touch screen. It was very easy for the provider to connect and go through the directory. If I'm in Raleigh, which is the capital of the state, and I'm at a, our flagship facility there, I can literally just go into my directory and it's in alphabetical order and I can click on that screen, that button. And then one of my facilities in the state, an exam room, where a, a, an offender would be sitting would there be on the camera and we could have our encounter. So uh, yeah, as, as, as Terry mentioned, this has been a multi-year effort. Um, I will say that when Terry approached us, we were tickled uh, and excited to help um, expand the technology um, solutions inside the department. And so to our, to our credit, we, we had a lot of the foundational um, technologies and infrastructure in place and so that we weren't starting from scratch per se and as Terry mentioned we did have to upgrade and replace a lot of equipment to accommodate the telepresence type um, technologies that we were looking to utilize uh, obviously the, the telepsychiatry was a great test bed for us to determine whether that this would work 
And then Terry did a phenomenal job in, in upselling the, the capabilities of this um, solution set to, to leadership and the department and, and ultimately the legislatures and the budget writers that, that allowed us to, uh, that granted us the additional funds to do the upgrades. You know, we had to do things like increase the bandwidth uh, at, at many of our facilities, upgrade switches, uh, additional cable drops and things of that nature to accommodate um, the locations of where we wanted to uh, have these telepresence or telehealth uh, medical appointments inside of our prison facilities. And I'm excited to say that we have uh, this solution in all of our uh, prison locations. Uh, the, the number fluctuates. One day it's 55, the next day it's 52 or 50, but in 50 plus locations throughout North Carolina, we do have uh, our telehealth solution working uh, as desired. And coincidentally, um, you know, as, as Terry was mentioning the timeline, um, there was a little thing called COVID that entered in to our <laughs> world. And, um, you know, a lot of people will say that we, we did this in response to COVID, but when in fact we had been working and planning on this for a few years before that, and just coincidentally, we were able to launch shortly just before, and, and we had started testing just before COVID was an, um, a major problem for us and, and the rest of the country. And it's just been a phenomenal uh, success and, and, and um, improvement in the way that we deliver healthcare to our, to our uh, prison population. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who we're using, but Terry mentioned the DX80, that is a Cisco product. We are a Cisco shop here. All of our networking components are voice over IP. And so it all blended in seamlessly. Um, and then it didn't hurt that our, our main healthcare provider that we partnered with, they were using the same exact solution we were. So it really was uh, all the moons and stars aligned. We were able to, to just work well with each teams because we were speaking the same language as far as networking components and the ancillary uh, devices uh, on each end that not only the, um, the medical staff would use, but we would use in-house. Um, so if I understand right, uh, most facilities have uh, urgent care services on site, but yes. this, this was this, and you kind of, uh, you kind of, mentioned this briefly, but the specialized care is kind of what prompted this. Right. So, but right. even, even that fact aside, is this being used more broadly for all types of services or is it mostly used for when specialized care is needed? Excellent question. So initially you're correct. Um, we launched it as a specialty network. Um, we do primarily um, on-site, you know, urgent and primary care. Certainly, if it's beyond the scope of our providers at that point, the offender would go into the local community hospital for further treatment. However, let me just kind of paint the picture. We had um, in the early 2011, 2012, we, um, the North Carolina Department of Public Safety built a, um, you, you might want to say a prison hospital on site at our uh, largest secure facility, our maximum security facility here in Raleigh, where we 
had a 336-bed uh, inpatient medical center, which included 120 beds for med surge, uh, 226 inpatient mental health, and a very large outpatient area. So that outpatient area gave us the ability to bring in specialists from University of Healthcare, uh, University of North Carolina, and other facilities here in the Triangle area, different specialists, for example, a cardiologist, a urologist, an orthopedist, a neurologist, a nephrologist would come into that facility and see patients in person rather than the patient going out into the community. I took that entire complement of specialty providers and reached out to them and said, hey, um, would you be willing to um, be able to, uh, instead of coming into prison, you know, the first Tuesday every month from 12 to 5, would you be willing to, you know, try um, to do this via telehealth? Well, you know, there was a little hesitation at first. Again, the tech, you know, technology scares people. And so there was a little hesitation, but, you know, my job was to find a champion on the medical side. And so I reached out to one of the vice chairs of the hospital and I said, hey, listen, here's an opportunity for us to change the way we deliver healthcare in our organization. And so not only are we going to provide, uh, you know, our care, we'll be able to expand access to care. In December of 2019, we did a pilot uh, with a couple of the specialists to say, hey, let's, let's use the equipment. Let's see if it works. And uh, of course, it was very well received. So fast forward to March, by then I had had a, all of those folks that were coming in in person had all said, okay, we'll try it. So we had already set up uh, a start date of when we were going to start uh, start with, you know, one specialist a month that was going to bring cardiology in and then hepatology and urology. Well, then March of 2020, kind of COVID shut down our world. And at that point, they weren't coming into our facilities and we weren't able to send the population out into the community. Well, thank goodness we had the telehealth network ready to go. And all we did was launch Instead of doing one at a time, we turned the switch on. We were able to start with, I think, 12 specialists the first month. And within 30 days, we had probably 40 specialists who were on board. And, you know, if you take a look at the numbers today, we're well into the hundreds of providers that have said to us, yes, I want to do um, telehealth with your population for specialty care. We've now launched into primary care. So yes, some of our DPS internal providers are doing their, seeing their patients via this platform. And actually next month in October of uh, 2022, I'm launching into teledentistry. We're going to be doing oral health care using the equipment that we have. We've bought additional scopes and additional specialized lenses for oral health care, and we'll be uh, going out on the road training dentists and being able to use, um, again, being able to uh, reduce the amount of offenders that go into the community for unnecessary care when we can do mm. it internally with the devices that we have purchased. I understand that this has saved the state some money, and yes. it's also garnered some um, 
positive reviews from people. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yes. So um, looking at last year's fiscal year, for example, fiscal year 22, that was July 1st of 2021 through June 30th of this year, we, uh, a low estimate of cost avoidance, you know, we can't say cost savings, cost avoidance was approximately $3.8 million, which is significant for the department. Um, we have had, and, and we continue to expand um, every month as far as number of providers. We, we now have an, another healthcare organization in this state that has partnered with us. So we continue to expand um, and, and because, you know, it's interesting, we've kind of maxed out some of the providers and they don't have any additional time. So we've had to reach out to other healthcare systems to say, hey, would you be willing to? Um, so we've got greater partnerships there. We've actually had some um, really good um, uh, publicity, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, I worked with some researchers, it's researchers at the University of North Carolina, and we were actually published in, uh, you've heard of JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. Mm -hmm. So um, we took a look at, we wanted to make sure that this was going to be sustainable. And we wanted to make sure that the providers were on board, and more importantly, the effect or the impact on the, the patient, the offender. So we actually did a six-month study looking at um, different uh, parameters, and these results were actually published um, last year in an article with um, in the Journal of American Medical Association, which you know was pretty exciting to get that attention as well. And so. Um, the responses were very favorable from the offender population. I think over 90% at the time said that they prefer a telehealth encounter, and there were many reasons why. Um, if you can take a look at, um, if you're an offender and you've got to, uh, you've got to see the specialist and you've got an early morning appointment, you may have to get out of your cell very early in the morning, um, leave the facility, you're you know, get in a van, maybe you're driving four hours one way to see a provider. And um, then you have to turn around and go back four hours and go back to your facility. And, and pretty much you've lost an entire day of work. Um, you've also had to be, um, you know, strip searched and all those things that are very uncomfortable. And so now we've allowed you the opportunity to see that same provider and not even have to leave your facility. So there was lots of favorable reaction from the offender population, which really surprised us. Right. So we, we talked about teledentistry. Are there any other new functions coming to the program? Um, we do plan to do more internal um, encounters with our internal providers. So for example, now, um, if I'm a regional physician, years ago, I would have to get in a car and every day go to a new facility. And I would have five facilities that's assigned to me. And so each day I'd go to a different one. Well, now that we've launched, you know, telemedicine, that provider doesn't have to get in the car, doesn't have to travel, can see the patients, actually more patients. And, you know, think about the travel time means now being able to be a little bit more efficient. And so um, we're also using telehealth to do more primary care now. So yes. We're also expanding on our, uh, staff behavioral health services. And so, as you know, working in, the, uh, in a department like ours, it's a very stressful work environment. 
and mental health is a huge um, concern and um, uh, area that we're focused on now. And so uh, in, in the vein of expanding solutions, uh, we have also expanded our behavioral health services with the same technology that we've implemented into uh, like sprinter-like vans so that our in-house uh, staff can, can meet with and, and uh, help our, our internal staff uh, with any issues that they may have going on. So, and we were prepared and ready thanks to a lot of collaboration, collaboration to, to launch this solution. And we're right up there with, with, um, with anybody in the country with this type of solution set and service. And we're doing it uh, very effectively. We're reducing the risk for not only our staff, but the population. As Terry mentioned, now we're not having to transport inmates, which takes away corrections officers from uh, the facilities. And uh, you know, from a technology perspective, I'm I'm getting phone calls and and uh, and solicitations for how did you do this? Glenn Mack, CIO for the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, along with Terry Catlett, the department's director of healthcare administration. You can read more about telemedicine and their efforts at statesoup.com and in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. Those ratings make it more likely that more people find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher and James Mahoney help put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.